0: there were two more murders 15 miles well, away' described huh? by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird cup of murder on May 5th 1993 three boys went missing from the small town of West Memphis Arkansas and with their disappearances came the trial of the century that even now makes people scratch their heads in confusion so if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Stevie Edward Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore were best friends. They all attended the same elementary school, Weaver and West Memphis, and were all in the second grade. They were Cub Scouts and spent all of their extra time playing in their neighborhood outside. That's why, on May 5th, 1993, No one thought anything of it when the eight-year-old boys were riding their bikes around 6.30 p.m. It wasn't until police received the first call around 7.00 p.m. from Christopher's adopted father, John Mark Byers, that anyone knew anything was wrong. They were last seen just 30 minutes before after Stevie Branch's stepfather, Terry Hobbs, called the boys inside. Searching that night was limited, but by the next day, people were out in full force looking for the little boys a human chain was formed to canvas the Robin Hood Hills neighborhood with no luck. At least, not until 1.45 p.m. when a patrol officer spotted a small black shoe floating in a muddy creek that led to a major drainage canal in the neighborhood. After the search was relocated to this area, the bodies of the three boys were found in a nearby ditch. They had been stripped and hogtied with their own shoelaces, their clothes found in the creek twisted around sticks that were pushed into the mud, Chris Byers had lacerations on various spots of his body, mutilations to his scrotum and penis. The other boys died from multiple injuries and drowning. And while there was some sperm found on a pair of pants recovered at the scene, the boys did not show any signs of rape, despite earlier statements. Now, police already had a lead that initially they wrote off. On May 6th, 1993, just before the boys' bodies were found a woman named Vicki Hutchinson was brought in for a polygraph test about an unrelated theft charge. While she sat and answered questions, the test was interrupted by her six-year-old son, Aaron, who was distracting his mother. This boy was a playmate of the three missing boys and mentioned to the detective administering the test, the boys were killed, quote, at the playhouse and gave a location, though this information over the years would change altogether. This is exactly where their bodies were found just a few hours later. When pressed, Aaron also stated that he saw the murders and that they were committed by Satanists who spoke Spanish. Once the murder of Satanists and cult got brought into the mix, police had a name in the back of their minds, Damien Eccles. Damien, who had interest in the occult, was 18 years old at the time and no stranger to the police. He had a previous arrest under his belt and was a high school dropout. His family was frequently visited by social workers, and he once ran away with his girlfriend and broke into a trailer. He spent time in institutions and suffered from serious mental illness. He is brought in for an interview on May 7th and given a polygraph test. When asked if he was involved in the murder, his answer of no showed signs of deception. Then, in an interview on the 9th, Damien mentioned that one of the boys had been mutilated, information that had not been made public. This was seen as a major incrimination, and Damien became their number one suspect, though they didn't have enough to fully charge the boy. A month passed with little progress, but police continued to zero in on Damien Eccles. That's when Vicki was brought back in and asked about the man who was on their suspect list. According to later interviews, Vicki said she tried to play detective and help out the police. She asked a neighbor and school acquaintance of Damien's, Jessie Kelly introduce her to Damien. She told the police and they asked her to meet with the boys once again but this time plant a recording device. Damien said nothing incriminating on the tapes and they were later deemed as inaudible though Vicky later claimed they were in perfect condition when she handed them over. At some point for whatever reason this same woman told police that she Damien and Jesse attended a Wiccan meeting, and that Damien had drunkenly confessed to killing the boys. Something that, at this point, is apparent in this case is that people, civilians, and police lie or bend the truth. Whether it be maliciously, accidentally, or because they feel threatened, we will never know. Jesse Miss Kelly was the next to be brought in for questioning. Despite his very low IQ and lack of parent support, police questioned the 17-year-old for 12 hours. Out of these 12 hours, only 46 minutes were recorded. He confessed that he, Damien, and a 16-year-old boy named Jason Baldwin were involved in the murder. He quickly recanted his confession, claiming he was scared and intimidated by police, and many argue that he did not understand his Miranda rights. However, he was taken at his word, and the two other boys were arrested. Jesse Miss Kelly was brought to trial first. Experts claim that Jesse's confession showed telltale signs of police coercion and should not be taken as fact. Also mentioned was a potential other suspect, a black man who was seen entering a local Bojangles on May 5th at 8.42 p.m., covered in blood and mentally disoriented. The police were called that evening to remove the man, but he left before they arrived. When the bodies were found, the manager called police stating that there may be a connection. Detectives took some blood samples from the walls where the man had touched, but those samples were lost. On February 5th, 1994, Jesse Ms. Kelly was convicted of one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second. He was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Next to be tried were both Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin together. They were accused of having knowledge about the murders in connection to a satanic ritual, but their lawyers stated that everything they knew was limited to what was on TV. Not just that, but the incriminating details that Damien knew during his police interviews were heard while officers were loudly discussing the details of the case. Also brought up was how poorly the police handled the crime scene. It was trampled on, the bodies were removed before the coroner arrived, the creek was not drained in a timely matter for evidence, and blood was found at the crime scene that was never tested. Not just that, but their records of the case were an absolute mess. Despite all of this, the boys were found guilty on May 19, 1994. Damien, the ringleader, was sentenced to death while Jason to life in prison. Immediately, the boys began filing for appeals. And in 2007, Damien filed for a retrial since DNA testing technologies were far more advanced than they had been in 1994. It was turned down. All three boys submitted imprints of their teeth, which were compared to the alleged bite marks found on Stevie's forehead that were never mentioned in the autopsy only found later when photos were released. No matches were found. Then something strange happened. The HBO network was working on a documentary of the case called Paradise Lost when John Mark Byers, Christopher's adopted father, handed a cameraman a folding hunting knife. The cameraman informed the crew that he had the knife and it appeared to have blood on the blade. The network insisted that he send it to the West Memphis police in December of 1993. They got it in January. The blood was tested and matched to both his and Chris's blood type. Police simply stated that he must have left the knife out and Chris must have gotten a hold of it, and he agreed. John agreed to a polygraph test during the filming of the documentary sequel, which he passed, but was under the influence of several medications. Oh, and remember that bit about the bite marks? John had his teeth removed in 1997, with conflicting stories about the reason. In 2003, that ever-so-helpful Vicki Hutchinson came forward and stated that everything she said, every word, was a lie. That the police implied that she did not say what they wanted, that there would be consequences. That when she came to the station once, the officers were using photos of the boys as dart targets. When the DNA was finally retested, it didn't match any of the boys. But a hair found in the knots used to bind the victims matched Stevie Branch's stepfather, Terry Hobbs. In 2008, there was jury tampering discovered, and as the years went on, more and more information came forward that made it abundantly clear that these boys were set up. On August 19, 2011, the three boys were released and entered an Alford plea to a lesser charge. They were sentenced to time served and released. To this day, no one really knows what happened to the three little boys in West Memphis. Even the families of the victims are divided on where to place the guilt. Some are adamant that Damien, Jesse, and Jason had nothing to do with their son's death. It is clear, though, that something was going on behind the doors of the West Memphis police station. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on May 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.